Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. So you ask the question, I'm saved. You're saved. How many are saved? Would you raise your hand? Raha, you're saved. And no, Lord. Okay, all those sinners, raise your hand out there. No, oh, I, oh okay. We, we, we got some honest people out there today. But, but now what? Now what? I, I can't think of a better passage to at least introduce you to how a believer now conducts himself or herself after they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't think of a better passage than Acts chapter 2. So if you're on your phone, you can go there. I know many Bibles are on your phones. I don't ridicule technology or you have an actual Bible. Some of you might be wearing earphones. I believe you're probably listening to this message. And Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 41. Here's what happened After Peter faced all the people that consented to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Remember, he's back fishing. They are locked into the upper room. And they already had the Holy Spirit in. But then the glory and the power and the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles and those in the area because the Holy Spirit drew them to where these men were praying. And after he preached his first sermon, here's what happened. Acts 2, 41 through 47. Those who believed after Peter preached or You shared with someone how to have eternal life. 3,000 people received Christ. So it says, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. 3,000 people and the church began to explode. Now, picking up in verse 42, we begin to see how the first community of believers behaved and acted now that they were a part of the family of God. Let's look. All the believers devoted, I like that word, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals. That's why I always invite myself over your house if you're a guest. So if you're a guest here for the first time, when I meet you in the back, I'm going to say, I do visit for food. I've said to some people, it's been three, four years, they still have invited me over their house. But, but I like coming to your house. It saves on my grocery bill. Sharing meals together, including what we just talked about, the Lord's Supper. By the way, it was food. They sat down and had some good old food. It was no little Twinkie or some little host. It's okay. It's symbolic of what we're celebrating. And prayer, they devoted themselves to prayer. Here's what happened as a result. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. 
And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. That's why another reason why I want to get over to the house to see what you have and I don't have. And if you have two, if you have two of what I don't have, you're supposed to share that. I know someone who took that for real. And they, and they worked on that together. Can you imagine that? I go to your house, you have two of something and I have none. Or you come to my house, I have two of something and you have none. Wow. Would we like to practice that? All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property, possessions, and shared money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship with those who are being saved. May, I, may God add his blessings to the reading of his word this morning. You might uh, sometimes think it's a little silly, but, you know, for us who believe, this is good news. And so when I shared with my kids and I shared with my family, my church family, a lot of this is, is enjoyable. A lot of, there's a lot of laughter in Scripture. There's a lot of enjoyment. We just read about it, so it's okay to laugh. It's okay to be a, a little silly once in a while with each other. We're saved. We're on our way to heaven. But, but now what do we do that we're saved? It kind of reminds me, I've graduated from school. I got a degree. What am I supposed to do with this degree? Who's going to pay me the kind of money I spent to get this degree? We won the Super Bowl. What's next? Orlando? We just got married. <laughs> What's next? You joined an organization, a team, a board. You joined the country. What's next? What's expected of me, of you, now that I'm a child of God? Go to church every Sunday at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and 11 o'clock. I've done my duty. I'm off to the races and live life the way I used to live. That's the kind of perception a lot of people have about being a believer. We're going to smash down that wall and that myth. What are the privileges and responsibilities? If you notice on page 21, if you go there in your little booklet... We're going to remind you of some of the things that we're to do and some of the privileges that we have. Now, remember, it says in Romans 10, 13, whoever called on the Lord is now saved. That's settled. You don't need to go back there anymore. You're saved. You're a child of God. And then John 1, 13 reminds us of something about this birth. They are reborn, John 1, 13, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or a plan to have a child, but a birth that comes from God. So he birthed you, the Holy Spirit birthed you into the kingdom of God. You're now a child of God. You're saved. Now what? Well, the first thing I want you to see this morning is there's a new you. A new you. Even though you look the same on the outside, although I would disagree because some of you were born with a frown and now all of a sudden you got saved and there's joy on your countenance. 
There's a twinkle in your eye. There's a little dance in your feet. There's a little clapping in your hand. And there's a little flutter in the heart when you get saved. It's true. And I can see the difference. But the new you involves a new life. The outline you can find on our VLC app, Plantation app. 2 Corinthians reminds us of that new you, okay? You're wondering what the new you is? So let's let the scripture define what that new you is. It teaches us 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That means anyone who belongs to the Messiah, Christ, has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. Now, I just want to stop here because I'll tell you the truth, church. When I have someone go through this track and I have someone pray this prayer, it's, it's not a prayer. I lead them to it. I, I remind them that God's looking in the heart. He already knows whether you want him or not. But when someone says, I'm saved, there should be a new you that exists. And many of you can go back to your lives and understand what I'm talking about. There was a brand new me that never existed. And when I shouted out and said, God, save me. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I know I'm a sinner. Please save me. A miracle took place. And that miracle should have taken place in you. A new you exists. If it doesn't, I'm going to tell you right now, you're still on the highway to hell. If there's no you, you have not, I mean, there was something that I never fought. I never warred with God. I didn't even really talk about Jesus. I really didn't pray that much. I didn't read the Bible at all. I never witnessed to anybody. I didn't really like to go to church at all. All of a sudden, I call on the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to read the Bible. I started telling everybody about Jesus, a person I never met before. I started giving. My foul mouth left me almost just like that. A habitual liar, and it just left me. Where did that come from? It came from the Holy Spirit who birthed in me new life that is in heaven. And I want to remind you of that. We have a new citizenship. That's right. Some of you already know about dual citizenship. But we too, if you're born in America, we have dual citizenship. Philippians 3.20 reminds us of that. 3.20. But we, that's believers, say born again. Baptized into the family of God, forgiven of our sins, says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. So there's new life. If you've not experienced that new life, you better do a checkup to see if indeed you've ever been born again. You have citizenship in heaven. By the way, we have new positions. We have new positions in Christ. We are, we are seated in heaven in his administration. We are subjects in the kingdom of God. He tells us that in Ephesians 2.6. For he raised us up from the dead... Remember, I and you, and we were dead to the things of God. Amen? You and me didn't think about God. We didn't talk about God. We didn't give to God. We didn't read about God. All of a sudden, now we're awakened. 
awakened to a whole new world that we never knew existed. He said that he raised us up from the dead with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So we have a new position. We're seated in the heavens. Our new position involves friendship. We're no longer enemies of God. In John 15, 15, he tells us, I no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slaves, but you are now my friends. Have you ever had an enemy? Have you ever had an enemy? And then someone brokered a peace treaty between you and your enemy, and now you're friends. So you know something what that's like. We were all enemies of God. Remember we read about that? We're all sinners and we were all enemies of God. And now we are his friend. One more thing, we're his ambassadors. So our new position, we're seated in the heavenlies. We know our citizenship is there. We're friends with God. And now we are his representatives. We're his ambassadors. Never forget this passage because it really is one of our main purposes on earth. 2 Corinthians 6.20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We all know what an ambassador does. God is making, here it is, God is making his appeal through us. Ask yourself the question. Is God making his appeal through me? Ask yourself that. For what purpose? Well, we speak for Christ when we plead to our neighbor to our children, to our co-workers. Come back to God. Is he doing that through you? It's one great sign that you're born again, that he's making his appeal through you. So you have new citizenship, you have new life, you have a new position, and I like this, a new destination. A new destination. How many were on the highway to hell? Raise your hand. Some of you are lying. Every person was on the highway. Where do you think they came up with that song? I'm on the highway to hell. I, you never heard of that one. Okay. <laughs> you just lied. <laughs> we were all on the highway. To, everybody was on the highway. And we now have a new destination. We've made a U-turn. And we're now in heaven. John 5, 24 reminds us of, of, of this truth. Truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, has, has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed, crossed over from death to life. That's the new you. Now look at that person next to you and say, I like the new you. Are you lying now or are you telling the truth? Your spouse will tell you, I like the new you. Your children will tell you. Your friends will tell you, I like the new you. Okay, now that there's a new you, now that there's a new you, there's a new way of living. Okay, you ready for the new way of living? You signed up. You're aboard. You're in the family of God. You're now a child of God. There are some privileges and responsibilities that a child of God has. Do you want to hear about them? Okay. Let me start with one main thing, though, before I get to the points. Many religious leaders brought 
to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. And they wanted her stoned to death, as the law said. But Jesus said, you without a sin, I want you to go up the head and cast the first stone at her and go ahead and kill her. All left her, and Jesus looked at the woman and said, where are your accusers? Did not even one of them condemn you? And we pick up in this verse, John 8, 11. No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Let me continue this thinking. There's a new way of living. Let me continue on this way of thinking. Galatians 5, 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's living in every part of our lives. Let me finish that passage in Galatians 5, 19 through 23. It kind of contrasts the way we used to live and the way we now live. Let's pick it up. Verse 19. Okay, the way we used to live. When, when you follow the desire of your sinful nature, now we're talking about a way of life. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idultery, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I had before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, I, I don't want you to get discouraged because the easiest thing in the wor world would be for a saint to become discouraged. Can you find any saint in the Bible that after they believed in Jesus Christ that carried this out perfectly? Is there anyone in this room would you please stand up that after you believed in Jesus Christ and got saved, you, you, you never one time committed one of these sins after you received Christ as your Savior. Would you please stand up? So, so what, what I'm trying to tell you, the enemy will try to discourage you. He's talking about a way of life. You and me used to live this way naturally every second, every minute, every hour of every day. But a believer now, the new you, here's how you live in verse 27. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Contrast that with that kind. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. So I want to remind you and me as a believer that one of the first things that happens when you believe in Jesus Christ, sinning as a lifestyle, as a habit, ends the day you receive Christ as your Savior. Now, I say to myself when I fail, you can use this if you want, most every seconds, most every minutes, most every hours, most days, most weeks, most months, most years, I'm living for someone else. I'm worshiping someone else. I'm dedicated to someone else. I have a habit of serving God. 
That's what you tell yourself because you know it's true. But yes, when we fail, God first, John teaches us as we walk in the light and expose ourselves to what we have failed God in, we are constantly being cleansed. Think of a car wash. You're constantly being cleansed. Think of a housewife always cleaning the house. You're constantly, she's always cleaning, or he's always cleaning. That's, that, that was a good one. He's not usually cleaning, she's usually cleaning. Okay, I get that. Okay, you stop sinning. Amen? You, st you stop being a sinner. We know what that was like. Partying every day, smoking every day, drinking every day. We, we, we know the whole laundry list. It stopped the second I got saved. It, where did that come from? You didn't turn over a new leaf because I, I know how many times you've tried to quit doing something. I didn't turn over a new leaf. I didn't wake up my morning and say, this is my New Year's resolution. I'm going to stop sinning. I didn't, and you didn't. You don't have the capability of doing that. There's no psychiatrist. There's no drug in the world. There's no church in the world that could take away that desire from sinning unless you're born again. Now, the first thing that happens as you make an agreement that I'm not going to live in sin, and remember, we have many characters in the Bible that remind us of that. Here was a, here was a, a tax collector said, Jesus, okay, I want to come to you. What do I need to do? And he said, well, you got to stop stealing. And he didn't exactly have that conversation with them, but the scripture clearly says, Zacchaeus said, well, listen, if I've stolen from anybody, I'm going to pay him back four times what I took from him. I'm going to get half of my money to the poor. And what did Jesus say? Salvation has come to this man's home. All throughout the scripture, people came to John the Baptist. What do I need to do to prove that I'm saved? And he gave him a whole laundry list of things that give evidence that they're saved. Well, here's one of the first things. You're baptized. Now, this is not in your book. We'll pick up that in just a second. The first thing that happens when you get saved is you become a candidate for baptism. You should run down the aisle. You should wave your hand. You should let everyone know, I want to identify myself with Jesus. I'm coming out of the closet. I want my coworkers to know. I want my family to know. I want my neighbors to know. I'm going to shout it from the rooftop. I believe in Jesus and quit being afraid. The coward will never enter the kingdom of God. Did you know that? Am I getting too loud? I saw someone going like this a little bit. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. Baptism, Acts chapter 2. It says, those who believed, back to Acts again, and they were baptized. They were baptized. Matthew 28 reminds the church of her commission, of her purpose. Ready? Matthew 28, 18. Jesus told his disciples, the last thing that we believe that was recorded, the last commandments, commissioning, so to speak, he gave the apostles. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing that happens when you become a believer is you are saved. That means he's number one. I want to give you just one passage that reminds you that he's number one. Matthew 10, 37. You got to take up your cross. So you're, you're being baptized, but you take up the burden, the cross, the, the plan that God has for your life. 
whatever that is. Jesus, it was to go to the cross because I remember the apostle said, we'll we'll die for you. And he said, no, you're going to drink from a different cup. You have a different cross to bear. Each one of you has a different cross to bear. So when you identify yourselves with Jesus, he has a task, a burden. uh, He has a, a, a job for you to do. And it's to take up your cross. In Matthew 10, he reminds us of that. He said, if you love your father, I know many people won't come to Jesus because they're a father or they're a mother. If you love them more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or your daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your wife, I mean your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Do you see the priority? He must be first. The evidence that you are saved is he comes before all people. If your wife doesn't want to come to church, God, you come to church. If your husband doesn't want to come to church, you go. If he doesn't want to read the Bible, you read the Bible. If he doesn't want to hang around believers, you hang around believers. You make the decision for yourself first. We're talking about individually. Next week, we'll talk about collectively. So the first thing that happens is that you become a candidate for baptism. I remember having long hair, and, and um, I got saved, finished ninth grade, and I'm standing, a 20-year-old guy that had been in the Army and kicked out, and I was standing before a whole church, and, and the pastor has me before everybody, puts me on the spot. Don't you hate when pastors put you on the spot in front of everybody? See, who can I pick on right now? And he said, Ron wants to be baptized. Uh, this came from a legalistic church, and he says, and, and, and you're going to cut your hair, right, Ron? What the world does my haircut have to do with being saved? Right? Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? But you know what my answer was? Because I was in love, in love, in love. I really was. He was the first person I ever felt that loved me. I said, I'll do anything to get out of hell. You see my response? Because the Holy Spirit, I didn't even know what I was saying, but because the Holy Spirit was in me. And when God saves you, you're willing to do anything and even die for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't have that attitude, then the Holy Spirit's not in you. If you can't come forward and say, I want to be baptized for the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to be identified with Jesus and his teachings and the word of God, then you are not born again. Because he does that in you. The next thing that happens is you want to read the Bible. Oh yes, that book you never picked up, Before you got saved, all of a sudden you want to devour it like it's a piece of cake, a steak. You think I'm kidding you. Mm, I love the word of God. It's honey to my lips. See, it says in Acts again, these believers, all the believers in Acts 2, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here's what Peter tells us, 1 Peter 2, 2. He says, like newborn babies. Ah, He calls you a baby. Some people are still babies, and they always remain babies because they don't read the Word of God. They go to churches, and they remain babies, and some denominations, and they remain babies because they don't teach the Word of God. They stay in elementary school for the rest of their lives, but they are born again. But here's what the Bible tells you and me. Like newborn babies, you must crave. You remember what you used to crave before you got saved? Now take that craving, and now you're saying, hey, I crave 
pure spiritual milk so that you will grow up into a full experience of salvation, what God has for you. Cry out for this nourishment. Remind, I want to remind you what Revelation teaches. It, 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 specifically in context, it's about the book of Revelation, but I believe God is pleased when I say this is about the whole book, the whole Bible. In Revelation 1-3, God reminds us, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all those who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. Read the word of God because you want to learn about the greatest person in the world. One more, Psalms 119 reminds us, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. I hope next year I'm going to challenge all of us to, we get this daily bread for free, and it will take you through the Bible in a year. Usually at the beginning of the year, we challenge everyone to read through the Bible in a different way. And so I want to challenge you this year, everyone, to get one of the daily breads. We have a bunch in the back and follow the plan. It has you in the Old Testament and it has you in the New Testament. Read the word of God. It isn't, it isn't so much a command, it's a delight to learn about our Savior and God. And then, so you're baptized, right? You want to read about God. Man, your eyes are open to a whole new world and Sometimes you go in homes and you have to blow the dust off the cover of the Bible because we don't read it enough or listen to it. There are many different ways in the day of technology to absorb the word of God. Amen. Some of you don't like to read. I didn't like to read. I only read comic books before I got saved. And I certainly had a hard time understanding Shakespeare and I had a hard time understanding Mr. King James. Today, you have a lot of ways to embrace the word of God. Third prayer. This community of believers was committed to doing something you and me hardly ever, ever did except when we were in trouble, right? Prayer. Acts 2, 42. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the sharing in meals, the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Now, I believe in prayer everywhere you go, as the Scripture teaches. Pray everywhere, at all times. But I do believe in, in carving out a little period of time in a little place that becomes your holy place, and you meet with God. I can tell you this. <clears throat> Besides God saving me and experiencing the miracle birth, and Him answering my first prayer began a journey of getting to know God through prayer. I want to introduce a small book, and I've read a lot of his books, George Mueller. It's a very simple, small little book. He impacted my life tremendously, along with Martin Luther. They would take two hours, four hours a day to pray. And I'm a guy that I kind of like challenges. And he, he shares his story of how he built an orphanage from two to about 2,000 or more in England, an orphanage. He never went to people to ask them for money. He would get on his knees daily, make his petition before God, his request before God, and daily, weekly, 
monthly and yearly, he would experience the glory of God. Things like sitting at the table with all the kids and no one's around and they have no food, only to have the milkman break down right in front of his house and he has to get rid of all the milk or it's going bad. And they come in and they give all the children milk. There are many, many, many stories in his simple book, Release the Power of Prayer, George Mueller, and other books like that that remind you, as well as the scripture, please pray. We are commanded to pray, and it's a privilege to pray. Philippians 4, 6. It says, don't worry about anything. Oh, everybody's worried about what's going to happen in this world. I know what we've been tempted with it. I've been tempted with it. He said, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. I think we forget that part. I, I know we have to remind ourselves and be intentional about the part. Thank him for what he's done. Remember this before you pray. Remember this before you pray. What is it? God said, I have given you everything you need for life and godliness. Have you thanked him for that? Let me repeat that one more time. God said, I've already given you everything you need for life and godliness. Then why in the world are you going back to God asking him for something he's already given you? Thank him. Praise him for it. Maybe look around and see where he hid it. You know, Christmas time's coming up and people used to hide gifts and you got to go find it. It's right there before you. He said, I've given you everything you need. Now, that doesn't mean you stop praying and asking. You ask so you know it's he that is supplying your need. In Hebrews 4.16 tells us now, now, now that we're his children, here's how we can approach God. I dare you to approach some, I dare you to approach some rich person and say, hey, I need $100,000 right now. And <laughs> how do you think that person's going to react? Well, look what he says here in Hebrews 4, 16. Let us come meekly to the throne of gracious God. Well, I don't scream, I won't shout it, but he says come boldly, boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. So prayer becomes a part of your lives. I've shared this story so many times, but you never get tired of telling your stories. Except when you get in the 70s and 80s and you repeat yourself and say the same story. <laughs> and your spouse tells you, I just heard that indoors for two years. Selling magazines door to door, living where I can. And I look into those homes and I see them eating a nice meal and warmed by the fire and watching television together. God, would you give me a home, please? I asked him for that. And did God deliver? Hallelujah, he did. I knocked on a man's door trying to sell him a magazine. And guess what? He sold me some real estate for free. I got to go live with he and his family for three years. He answered my first request I ever put in for my life. He proved to me he was alive. And boy, that started me on my journey to praying. And then I would ask pastors, how come we don't pray like the Bible teaches us? How come we don't ask for the things that he told us to ask for? How come we don't pray for the sick like 
He tells us to pray for the sick. It would astonish me. I couldn't understand. I had a kindergarten faith, and they're, and they're trying to comp complicate what's in the Bible. Don't complicate it. Don't let people around you tell you you can't ask for, for things from God. Now, fellowship. This is an important one, fellowship. We're almost winding up. Acts 2, 42. Remember, this is the activity of a new believer. These are privileges and responsibilities. You remember who you used to fellowship before you got saved? Do you remember those characters? What kind of new set of friends do you have now? In Acts 2.42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And to the fellowship. 1 John 1.3 tells us, Here's the kind of fellowship we're talking about. We proclaimed you, John. We proclaimed you, 1 John 1, 3, what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, that means Jesus, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. It is amazing to me how many believers struggle with this, that they... They struggle with hanging around other believers. I've been sharing the last few days with a lot of different people. I have a whole different crowd of people I hang out with. Yes, I care about the sinner, but I don't want to hobnob, hang out with, fellowship with, on any type of regular basis with my neighbors. If my neighbor next door asks me over their house, I'll go over for the little bit of party, but I'm going to leave pretty quickly. It reminds me of weddings. You ever go to a wedding where there's a lot of drinking? Almost most weddings I go to. So you go to the wedding, and, and they start off with a nice couple rounds of drinks. What usually happens halfway through in that wedding? And then what usually happens on the dance floor? I will not make the moves that you see take place on the dance floor because of all the drinking that's going on. So usually when I go to a wedding and I see that happen, guess what I do? Lickety split, I'm out the door. If I'm at my neighbor's house who I want to be a witness to and show them how you live the Christian life, I'll stay at the party for a little while and lickety-split, I'm gone. If I'm out playing tennis or with a guy regularly or a pickleball and, and, and the person, all they're doing, and, and they're my partner, and, and I hang around them and they want to play every day and all they're wanting to do is be worldly and talk worldly, uh, they're not going to be my partner very long. I don't have anything in common with them. I don't talk to talk. My thinking is different. I, don't have, I read from a different book than they read from. I serve someone that's different than they serve. So my fellowship from the very beginning as a college student, I was a lonely guy because they either hung around the legalists who you couldn't do anything. I couldn't drive in my boogie van. I couldn't have long hair. I couldn't listen to rock and roll Christian music. I couldn't go shoot pool. I couldn't play cards. I mean, they had me. I said, why don't you put me in a straight jacket and put me in jail? That's what I told them. And then you had these other guys that, that we, I enjoy some liberties, and I won't tell you what liberties I enjoy, but they enjoyed those liberties. And, but the only problem is they overdid it. I wanted to have fun, and I wanted to enjoy what God permits me to enjoy, but I wanted to do it to where it glorified him. So guess what? I was lonely many times. In the church, I'm talking about in the church, I couldn't find college students that were sold out to Jesus Christ. They wanted to compromise way too much. And then the legalists, I didn't want to even be near them. You might as well almost be lost. 
Even as adults, it can be lonely to find men and women that really believe in fellowshipping with other believers. Hey, we're all a weird bunch of people. Look at your buddies you used to hang around with. You're lost. Oh, my goodness sakes. The problems they had were a mile long. Fellowship. The believer hangs around other believers. You know why? Because we're going to spend the rest of our lives with each other. Witness. Witness. We share our faith. We talked about that. So I'm just going to say this. Acts 2.47. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. When's the last time you had the privilege of seeing someone come to know Jesus Christ? It's not a chore, church. It's not. It's not just because I'm a pastor I'm telling you that. I had a ninth grade education and I was telling everybody about Jesus because what he did in my heart, I couldn't keep my mouth shut about who just changed my life. I wanted everyone to know. But then what happens is you hear about all the persecution. You hear all the people say, shut your mouth. You hear your family reject you. You hear your neighbors not want to do anything. And then you start clamming up. That's why the church is so important. So they can encourage you when you go back out there not to keep your mouth shut about Jesus. And finally, we end with this point with worshiping and giving that we'll pick up next week. I'm talking about what the new believer does once they are saved. This is the kind of conduct. You're baptized. You stop sinning. You start reading the Bible. You, you start praying. You start witnessing. You start hanging around believers regularly and then you worship God on your own on your own not just in the church we'll talk about church next week you start on your own I used to take a challenge and that challenge was this I remember when I got saved and even went to college I said you know what I'm going I want to I want to mimic my heroes all my heroes are Christians my sport heroes are Christian my businessmen and women I like those that are Christians I look for Christians in every single vocation and they are the people that I admire so naturally when I'm going into ministry I'm thinking about people like George Mueller and other great saints like this and Martin Luther and I, I heard they prayed two hours a day or I heard they prayed four hours a day and oh yeah God I want to be like that have you ever felt that have you ever felt that who came in and stole that desire from you to, to be like that who did it who came in and cut in and kept you from desiring those things was it your mama your daddy your brother your sister your workplace your neighbors was it the persecution from the world who has robbed you of that passion that God gave you himself? Who came in and stopped it? And I remember trying to memorize a chapter in the Bible while I was going to school, while I was working two jobs, while I was trying to pray. I remember that. I didn't succeed at all those things. I try to bite off more than I can chew like some of you. And then I flunk Greek even though I'm Greek. I got a D in Greek. So that's why I preach in English and teach in English. <laughs> Guys, I'm just like you and you're just like me. Let's, let's find ourselves as saints 
embracing our new responsibilities and privileges and be intentional about it, but being intentional to make sure we teach our children and that other people can see those changes in us. More than ever, there's that need, isn't there, for people to see Christ in you and me. Let's pray. Would you stand with me, please, as we continue worshiping God and want to invite some of you to come down in front to pray. Remember, my house will be called the house of prayer. I'd love to see God's people praying for what we just talked about, for the glory of God, for the Shekinah glory of God. Father, we pray for your Shekinah glory, not for inexperience, so we can walk away and say, boy, the, the hair on the back of my neck just raised up because I was, I was around the glory of God. But we believe when the glory of God takes place that people are broken that people are hurting, people are crying, that people are shouting, people are laughing. There are a lot of things that happen when you get a hold of us. Things that you want us to do, answered prayer. We pray that the glory of God would be present in this place. Even bringing healing, I've been praying, Father, for spiritual healing and fleshly healing. We're asking for you to do that. But most of all, remind everyone in here that says they're saved that these are the things that you really laid out that we should be involved in. Would you remind us of that today and this week? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.